Hello everyone. Sorry about the slightly different opening. Today is Wednesday 8 p.m. and this is a live stream channel but the video you are about to watch the video you're watching right now is not live it was previously recorded. I am traveling right now but on Tuesday at 8 a.m. I had the good fortune of talking with Zachary Coffin who's an actor, writer and director. He has acted in many films and you have seen him. You'll find the names of those films in the description of this video. and uh, we spoke for an hour about artificial intelligence how it affects the artistics the artistic career and uh, what is the future of art itself in light of the world that we live in right now zack is a wise person and i have always found his opinion on media matters to be quite useful this conversation was recorded remotely there is a bunch of lag and there may be some audio glitches also apologies in advance about that i cannot do anything about it i could not do anything about it but for the most part at least in the audio department the complete show is understandable uh, you may be also listen to this as audio on spotify google podcast apple podcast gana.com jio savan etc if you are uh, thank you on whatever podcast platform you are listening on try to leave a rating or a review you can also support the show and uh, by sending a super chat in the uh, live chat right now or you can send a super thanks by clicking the super thanks button under this video if you're watching this at a later point of time so without much further ado here is my conversation with zachary coffin enjoy it thank you yep well we're we are recording. recording um we are recording yeah. hi zach it's been a while hi it's When been a really it? it's it really has been a while uh certainly pre covid When did you move? You you shipped that in Mumbai. I, I left in uh, five left six years ago, right? Seventeen, eighteen. Yes. So it's been at so least people, that long. I, you know, I I'm just trying to remember how I first met you. I think it must have been a comic con. Ten <clears throat> years yes. ago or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I remember you had a bicycle and a broken arm. Say that again. You had a bicycle and a broken arm. Yes, that's right. You know, we had everything was great, and now as soon as we start recording, the audio quality has become. Uh, The audio quality is actually okay. The video quality is a bit slightly laggy. Well, as per as per this conversation, just... you uh. sound like a computer. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. I think I can make it out, but uh, but maybe have to talk a little slower or something like that. Anyway, yeah, we met I think at Comic Con, and I just hmm. thought you were uh, a storyteller, storyteller, meaning uh, you were writing. but you know kind of deeply interested in in for lack of you know try to segue here into the like language models underneath the language and uh i don't just mean that in a kind of chat gpt way but a kind of what are the metaphysics what are the values embedded in language all you know kind of a <clears throat> thing so we i think we just kind of talked and then we met a couple times and uh unfortunately we never really kind of collaborated or worked or anything together and then you left town left mumbai and that was that yeah i remember and the last never, time The last time huh? we did meet, we were talking about the possibility of doing something together, but we couldn't figure out what to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that 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 sounds that sounds about right. I'm trying to get comfortable so, here. This is maybe I can do this. This is a, uh, you know, I thought about doing a podcast. Uh, listen, this is going to be very boring for people in the very beginning. Sorry, I thought about on, doing a podcast. Me, let me just try to do something. Let me try to reduce yeah. the video resolution on my end and see okay. if that helps. Hold on. Ah, uh, um, yeah. That way you don't look as good. That's I okay. Think. I mean, uh, at least the listening experience will be okay for everyone else. Yeah. Uh, so okay. I'm at 480p now. Is this better? okay? As long as I'm at 481, okay. 
unfortunately that's not an option yeah so uh, you just came back i mean i live in mumbai but i've been in uh, paris for the past few months okay mm, before that we're doing a um a, a stage musical remake of the bollywood movie disco dancer so okay full sets full disco ball which is you know like 3 meters in diameter um uh you know songs dance uh all the big songs and all that kind of stuff <clears throat> we did about 3 months of rehearsal and then we premiered it in london in uh november and it went really well uh we did six shows there and uh that was in english now we're bringing translating into hindi and doing that in uh, april in mumbai and then it'll and then it'll go international again back and forth okay. so i'm not saying you're i'm the comic relief i am the uh Bob Christo, if people know that kind of character, I'm the cartoonish Russian gangster. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I do. I do. Bob Christo was a very familiar face and name in uh, 80s Bollywood. Well, they found something resembling him. I don't know. They found and, the uh, evil white guy. They found the evil white guy. Um, okay. So, but my character is like it's just very funny. It's just like my character is just a cartoon. Like you have a regular song, and people go for the songs, the you know the the dancing. The, it's a big number there's 15 dancers all that so it's 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 a show it's a broadway show um mm. and then there's my character <laughs> there's mine and one other character and we just function like you know kind of comic relief um so it's actually a lot of fun but anyway uh yeah i just got back from um that and a little bit extra in paris and uh you sent me a message yesterday actually i realized you had liked one of my posts and then you asked me a question and that post yeah, yeah, i think yeah, yeah. we owe it to the audience to explain the post was a very simple thing saying hey chat gbt can you even create a masterwork of original art all you do is string sentences together to make it look like art you're no thing and then the chat gbt responds well can you it's like that 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 image gives me existential crisis because i've had conversations about artificial intelligence uh, doing art and you know engaging in seemingly creative pursuits for the last couple of months and there this has been uh, like if you search for ai art on youtube you will find a whole lot of really worried opinions from artists that this is yeah. taking something away from us uh, but i also noticed something else which is that as a writer i look at chat gpt and i think okay oh, uh, uh, oh my god this is going to do what i do right but i'm mm-hmm. less worried about ai doing art because i'm not a visual artist right so when i look at mm. the opinions of artists who say that uh, oh this is ai will never do what humans do i'm like yeah but you can use it as a tool but when someone comes to me and says that you know the ai can now write stories i'm like hey ai will never do what i do because everyone yeah. every kind of artist has a sort of bloated opinion about the importance of what he does so i was just mm. wondering if i am just falling into that trap so yeah you're falling into that trap 100% you, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. i i i was i was i wanted a second opinion on this matter because you in addition to being a director and an actor are also a writer mm-hmm. so are you are you like just generally first of all tell me what you told me uh, in the chat yesterday where do you see this going how do you see this affecting the creative arts visual arts or writing well i think um you know it's interesting because i think the first of all let me the, the disclaimer the caveat um nobody knows anything we're just 
the other way around. That said, um, you know, we've been watching machine learning, uh, different language models uh, evolve <clears throat> with computers for, you know, 50 years, 55 years. Um, I used to be a consultant and I worked in knowledge management. Um, and similar concept, it just wasn't um, automated in a way, right? It was basically, let's take knowledge and break it into tags, if you want to think of it that way. But it was, uh, um, you know, ways of modeling knowledge, modeling relationships. So you had not just knowledge management, but knowledge communities. This is work I did at KPMG um, <clears throat> in a previous life. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was a lot of uh, interesting work. And out of that, well, that was built on the work that happened in Xerox and other places, IBM, uh, with SGML, if anybody is aware of those prehistoric uh, languages, <clears throat> which evolved into XML, which was essentially the, the big development of XML. And I guess I'm going to, this isn't supposed to be a tech conversation, but the reason I'm getting a little bit into the history is XML's great thing was, wow, it's a human readable language. And it was meant to invite functional people into the tech conversation. So you can take tags or ways of coding that make sense to you, language that makes sense to you, and we will put it into this language, and that will become more universal. And I worked for a lot of years in XML, specifically with industry clusters, where industries had specific domain knowledge. So, for example, uh, I worked in finance, and if you ask a banker, what, in, what is the definition of income? It's a defin different definition than, say, uh, Disney. Um, and also, uh, you know, Goldman Sachs in New York counts money differently than LCL in, um, in France. Literally, different accounting standards are different definitions, even though it's the same concept. <clears throat> so then you have to say, okay, we're talking about income, but not income for healthcare. We're talking about income for income for banks. Okay, not income for banks, but for banks that use generally accepted American accounting principles, meaning regulated by the SEC, as opposed to ones that use ISP or something like that. So all of that knowledge, which was in the heads of accountants, for example, in that case, <clears throat> or tax professionals or whatever, got modeled and it got codified. And this happened, you know, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago, but it was a major leap because tech was not just the domain of just pure code uh, doing, you know, say developers working in developer circles. Now developers and functional people were getting together in a way they never really had before, where, mm. you know, every industry body was coming out with its own XML standards, for example, their own <clears throat> ways of codifying their knowledge. And in some cases, um, I worked on a couple of standards that are actually mandated. Um, in India, the first time I came to India, I was uh, giving a lecture for the Securities and Exchange Board of India on something called XBRL, which is now, without even thinking about it, it's, in, it's a mandatory thing for every publicly listed company in India that they file in this format that was a combination of code plus specific knowledge. So where that develops to is that knowledge <clears throat> becomes more kind of common so that the, the computer now, that side, can determine if I ask it a question, are we talking about income in terms of the financial services space, ChatGPT mm. will know if I mean it that way, or do I mean like, you know, uh, did I really mean just a word for salary? Uh, like I'm talking about how much income will I get from my boss? Well, they'll immediately translate that to salary as opposed to the Goldman Sachs definition of accounting, uh, accounting approved definition of income, right? So we move from the industry knowledge, specialized knowledge with, with very specific meanings 
into the next gen. And this is what's happened because <clears throat> there was a level of this that happened in constrained areas. For example, if you took um, a language, just as, an, as, a, as a thinking example, you had a language that only had 500 words. That's mm. it. Well, you could see that you could get artificial intelligence in that much sooner, much quicker than you could with you know, 50,000 words of vocabulary and also has to have structured sentences with those 50,000, exponentially more complex. Or to make it even simpler, if there's a language of just yes and no, um, yeah. you, go, you already have that to some lunch, right? Like if I just go mm, something and it only responds yes and no, well, it can, it can do that. <clears throat> and intelligently to some point, that's what an ATM does. You don't have the balance. No. Yeah. You do yeah. have the balance. Yes. Right? So we've had this kind of thing like that. So there's been this evolution. And um, the thing was, everywhere it's come, what we were talking about just very briefly in our chat yesterday, was hardly you can think of, I mean, and we're biased, but hardly you can think of a more white-collar job than creative writing, <laughs> you know, yeah. meaning it's, it's like the ultimate, well, you know, I'm going to retire and write a novel, and only 1% mm. of 1% people can do it. Um, but I was immediately struck that this existential crisis happened, not because of technology, not really, uh, but it happened in the art world. Um, and the example I gave to you was Andy Warhol. So if people are not very familiar with the art world, in the Western yeah, art world, you know, I would, you, I, would, you, I would love it if you could break up that Andy Warhol example a little bit for those of you, those of us who don't understand. Well, what I think will happen in this conversation, um, the emoji, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> the emoji sounds too casual. So I'm going to add the um, emoji. That's pandit, the emojis pandit, on pandit, my chat. <laughs> yes, I know. Pandit, emoji, pandit, pandit, okay, Panditji is not bad, actually. I, know, pandit, I like you like that. We'll figure it out. But one of the things I think is going to happen is we're going to look a lot, um, a little bit at least, I myself have to just for processing uh, to the past, to history, um, because of the kind of echoes of history. So hmm. we have seen this kind of deep existential crisis in the art world where hmm. art, let's say something simple like painting, uh, it went from, you know, cave drawings and it became stylized. And then there was a area of, say, Renaissance painting in the West where it's quite intimate and the lighting is very sophisticated. Um, then it uh, went into a kind of abstract stage and different kinds of areas of uh, uh, impression. Um, at one point, you know, paintings had this issue that photography came along. And if you wanted mm. a photorealistic painting, well, a photograph actually did it better, uh, notwithstanding black and white and green and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, all those people who stood for portraits, sat for portraits in the past, they yeah. sat for photographs. In there. So painting was like, well, what do we do? And painting reinvented it uh, with Picasso and all these kind of things with cultural interchange to be abstract and this thing. But the real, so that was the first one. So kind of painting dodged the bullet by saying, okay, okay, we can't compete with that. We don't want to compete with that. We're going to go in a different way. Okay, fine. But then it got to a point where, well, what is art anymore? Because guys were throwing paint on the wall. They don't know what they're doing. And, and so someone said, nobody knew what art was when Andy Warhol came and he said, well, here's, here's a can of tomato soup. Campbell's was the uh, product name. Um, that's it. That's the art. And people were like, that's just a can of tomato soup nope nope that's art and you know it's a really mind-blowing thing on one hand it's like you know is there a difference between the art world and the world of conning people i don't know <laughs> that's a, you know um you know is that painting worth 50 million dollars or 60 million dollars interesting question mm. it's actually a very interesting question and then uh it's a whole other conversation but the point is the root of that is 
well, what the hell is art actually? And out of that, one thing became clear. I'm not an art history expert or anything like that. But what I'm saying is that crisis is now here with us where you can get somebody writing a ChatGPT kind of model, writing a um, essay in your style or has been seen with some of these comics. Some cartoonists have, you know, comic uh, strips and the AI is able to get essentially extract their style and then recreate a new cartoon with different content and different dialogue. And yeah. it's like that person wrote that cartoon. So you've essentially take the essential quality of that artist and recreated and done it to the point where maybe you can see some mistakes, but you know, give it a year or two and it'll be pretty indistinguishable or, or to be more specific, it will take a qualified forgery expert to just as in painting to be yeah. able to see the difference between a real, you know, uh, Rembrandt and a fake one. That's a really good forgery, which is also a kind of art, by the way. Yeah. But still, yeah, it it's not the authentic one. So somebody's going to say one day there's going to be an ad written by Vimo, and they're going to say, that's it. And then you go, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And then, like, can't with handwriting analysis in court. Well, was it really his handwriting? Or what was it like that? So this is going to lead, I think, pretty soon pretty to the need to imprint or digitally sign your writing, but also the very kind of verification that I am who I am. And there's a very interesting thing, and the reason that'll be necessary is because humans are willing. I know I am. I'm ready to pay you 100 rupees for your book, mm. even though you want 1,000, mm. but okay. But you want 100 rupees for your book, but I'm not going to pay 100 rupees for a fake copy of your mm. book, even mm. if it's 99.9% same. Mm. I will immediately go, oh, if it's a fake copy, let me just get it for free off the internet. You know, that's the way we, the internet has really kind of shaped our habits. There's an awful mm. lot of PDFs that are free. Yeah. And I'll just take one of those. But if I want the authentic Vimo essay, the actual one, well, maybe I'll be willing to pay for it because then it's the authentic one. Right? And this also gets you into that whole fad last year with the, um, uh, uh, what was what it? Uh, the, the digital currencies things. Uh, Crypto. Oh my God. Bitcoin. Huh? Bitcoin. No, not Bitcoin, but you know where they were essentially, this is the authentic digital copy NFT, of NFT? Yeah, NFT. Yeah, thanks for that. I was drawing a blank, yeah. right? So NFT a year ago was like, this is a joke. Like, like somebody bought for $400,000, they bought the authentic video copy of the mm -hmm. NBA basketball game. Mm -hmm. And you think, well, I can download that off the YouTube, off the YouTube. But you know, art is a little funny because if something's authentic, people do value it. But why is it authentic? Because of this NFT? Well, that to a lot of people, that just seemed like a fake market kind of like so a scam but now oh my god this might be mm. something you're saying that technology that underpins nfts might become useful in a world where it 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 is difficult to tell the difference between what is written by an actual human being and what is a copy or a, a facsimile created by a machine that's what you're saying yeah I, I, yeah i've never been a fan of nft but yeah, it now has a business yeah. model. It now has it a now, business model yeah. because there's a use for it now. Yeah. So there's two aspects of this that are important. One is, are, is this the authentic essay, right, that you wrote? And for a variety of reasons, sometimes even you know uh, legal reasons, we need to know was that the authentic one and not just sounds like him. As convincing as it was, no, this was like that. So that's that's one thing. But the other thing is not just because of artistic uh, or value or audience desire for authenticity but the other thing is and i think this is um 
this will lead to a kind of a very different conversation about where we are at at present. Is it's not reliable, reliable. So mm-hmm. this is important because right now I view this as very much like a toy. Everybody who goes there is going, you know, uh, uh, uh. nobody is seriously saying, nobody is seriously going, dear ChatGBT, should I take four pills of this medicine or three pills of this medicine? My grandfather is, is, in, is, is clenching his heart. Nobody's yeah. doing that because they know it's not reliable. It's and there's been reliable. plenty of examples like that. So there will be a need at some point for, you know, this is the verified answer, for lack of a better way of putting it, hmm. that this has been actually QC checked. Hmm. Now, as opposed to the generic one. The generic one is your mileage might vary. And, you know, that a lot of things on the internet are not 100%. Wikipedia is not 100% true, but you get a lot of value of it anyway. So there's kind of the day-to-day things. But on things that really matter, where there's a legal stakes, where there's health stakes, where there's military stakes, where there's, where there's some stakes, right? It's not just a game. Now you cannot put chat GBT just kind of let it do it. Because even if it could mimic, there are legal consequences to that. So even if you could get away with convincing people that it was true, if anything goes wrong, you will be sued out of your, you meaning anybody yeah, who's yeah, putting it forth. Yeah. So there's a need for verification there, but that verification is also kind of an element of QC according to the, to the expert of the QC person. So if it's a basic thing, like this answer has been QC verified that yes, this is the equator of the earth. Okay. Low level QC, but this is, you know, um, uh, uh, Neil Gaiman's uh, verified uh, opinion or uh, expert uh, uh, verification that this answer is a mm. valid definition of what mythology is. Mm. Okay, good. I can use that now. I can run it and mm. use it. And if you can imagine, let me go to the chat GBT of only Neil Gaiman verified answers. Yeah. Okay, now that's something I can trust and believe in and work with and move forward with. Right now, mm. we're still at the game level because there's no stakes. So I think this is, this is one concept. This leads a, me to... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask, this would still depend on the author. So, for example, if I wrote a story, like the reason I'm bringing this up is because a couple of days ago, I shared a link to a story by me online. And I was mortified when someone asked me, hey, did you use AI to write this? And I found right. it deeply insulting, right? Because... Yeah, I know. Right, yeah. So that that's something that happens. But... What is the solution to this? I can write a disclaimer under my stories online saying no part of this story was generated using an AI. The idea was also not using generated using an AI. The art accompanying this story was generated by AI. So a full disclosure kind of that goes with everything. Now, so if, I think, I wrote, yeah. if, if I wrote a story and then I use the technology that underpins NFTs to stamp it saying, yes, this is the original version then that's yeah. my promise and uh, the technology verifies it. But if I created the story using an AI tool, if I am a dishonest storyteller, so to speak, if I am using right. AI to make stuff and then stamping it with my authority using the tech that you mentioned and then putting it out into the world, that's still a kind of a violation of uh, trust, right? Well, it's a violation of trust. I mean, it's uh, you know where this leads to um, if you look in the art world, is the not just verification but reputation. Yeah. So, if a three-year-old child spills some wine onto a piece of white paper and it kind of looks like a Rorschach test, and somebody goes, yeah. "This is a masterpiece of art," 
Yeah. No, it's just a kid who just did that. So you look at that and you go like that and you go, no, it's just that. It's just a baboon who just did this like that. And, and so in art, I, and that, this is not necessarily the definitive answer, but this is my take on where art is. Um, context matters, right? The intention matters. The artist matters, at least in the creation. Actually, after it's produced and it's established, how it's received is a different thing. That gets into moral questions about, you know, is, is this, should this movie be watched because it was done by a Nazi or something like that? That's a different question. But at the outset, if we're talking about here's something, here is a sentence. Is this a masterpiece or did the kid just drool? Yeah. Well, you need to know because I'm not ready to say a, mas- a, a kid drooling is art because an art has no meaning anymore. Hmm. And likewise, I have seen a lot, an awful lot of profound sounding poetry on the internet where people string together four or five things. You know, light is a thousand echoes of the hummingbird song. <laughs> and they don't know what the shit they're talking about. Now, if Kabir said the same thing, uh, I, would, I would double down. I mean, not double down, but I would uh, come back, humble myself. But what did he mean? Because his body of work, his reputation has shown that he chose every one of those syllables deliberately and precisely. And he also edited out 20 other versions of that sentence before he put it out. Hmm. So if a certain person puts forward, a certain reputation puts forward something, for example, an essay, it's not just the verification that is part of it, but it's also the reputation, hmm. right? Because, and here's, I hate to say this, I really do hate to say it. Right now, I completely understood how you said, I was a little offended they thought I used AI. Now, here's the funny thing. 20 years from now, someone's going to go, oh, I, I was quite flattered they thought I used AI. <laughs> Meaning AI will be so good. AI will be so good. Most people's writing will be so bad. It'll be like chess game. And they go, did you use a chess engine to, do, to play this game? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, no, no, that was me. That was really good, man. Right? No, but In the very is- beginning. Yeah. The question is, the question is, was I mortified because uh, my skills were being thought of as the chat GPT yes. skills? Yes. Or I, was I, think I so. you 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 think so? But my the yeah. other option, of course, is that I was mortified because my claim that I worked hard to make something now has no value because the understanding out there is that I clicked a button and, and I made something and I posted it to Instagram. So I, I, the, yeah. the, the question I want to ask is that if art is going to be defined as conscious decision-making by human beings in order to create meaning, then is there a time element associated with it? Is it more no. art if it took two days? And is it, no. is it less art because it took two seconds? Yeah, no. And the reason no is because when you, when you it very well may be a correlation right generally speaking if somebody's worked on a sculpture for 20 years they probably put in a lot of work and effort into it you probably want to consider that art but after 20 years if they really are not a good artist you go yeah. i'm sorry to say you know a bulldozer could have done that actually in 10 minutes um <laughs> it's that so you cannot use and, and 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 we might have a disagreement on this at some point but this gets and this gets away from ai or rather it gets to the very 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 heart of it and i'll use the word soul because you're going to, and where you enter, when the vocabulary moves towards things like soul or consciousness, it's because we don't have a way to articulate non-material aspects. We don't have a very, very precise and very good way of articulating non-material aspects 
of a, in a material world. Hmm. So, um, so for example, uh, you can describe the human body as just a series of mechanical things. It's a chemical reaction, this and that and the other. But that's not what a human being is. That's not what life is, right? Um, you can say, well, existence is just from the Big Bang. But you go, no, no, what happened before time? We're, we know existence. Our understanding hmm. of existence is constrained by our brain. And that brain can see things through time and space. Okay. So what I'm saying is, in any conversation about the world, we tend to use material terms, which time falls into the category of. Hmm. But art, you're going to get into the Turing test for art, is if you say this is indistinguishable from another thing, then there is no more art anymore. There is no art. There's just craft. There's just skill. And I will beg to differ. So there I'll come in and say, no, somebody has put their, kind of using flowery language here, but they've essentially articulated or expressed their consciousness. Hmm. They have to quote, so to quote, they have spoken the ineffable. Yeah, it is about consciously. So, if if I were to make a distinction between a coffee cup stain that looks like something and a piece of art, I would say that the what what makes a piece of art the piece of art is that someone consciously decided to make it that way. Would you agree? Um, generally, I mean, I think there's thing, there's plenty of examples where somebody intended to make something this way. And then mm. they ended up with this, and they went, "Oh, that's not bad," <laughs> you know. Yeah, like but you there's can, still the conscious decision involved there, right? The, the, there's this, there's the conscious action to do uh, the okay, thing, okay, okay, right? Okay. I get it. And I then the it. results may vary, right, for better and for worse, right? So conscious so, action as opposed to conscious decision to have a very specific result. Yeah, uh, the, the, so you can have a conscious decision and be a bad artist, and, and you're not an artist, right? Like, yeah. or, or you're in only in the most general sense that we're all artists. A three-year-old who has a conscious decision to, 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 you know, put red on the wall is not an artist. Baby steps, right? But I think yeah, yeah, this, yeah. so you really get, and this is the thing about AI, because fundamentally we're talking about, well, what the hell is it to be human anymore, right? Because yeah. if I can yeah. chat with something that's, I'm like, so what is art the Art, what is art leads to what is being human. And yeah. so here, this I think I have a little bit more grip on because um, you don't, we think we know what a human is because we see flesh and blood. But hmm. there, and I hate to put it this way, but I think, I think this is what it is. There are awful lot of people who live very mechanical lives unconsciously. If you catch me at three in the morning as I'm walking from my bed to the bathroom, I'm kind of human, but it's not, I'm not fully human at that moment. I'm kind of in a kind of a subconscious and I'm moving towards the bathroom and at three in the morning, get out of my way, like that. Mm. It's, it's not my full humanity. Yeah. Um, and there are other times, for example, when you're in the flow, as artists like to talk about, or as scientists or whatever, that you're in that moment of kind of creative, the, what potentially talks about that, um, that, that the whole universe opens up inside of your mind at that moment, that feeling and all that stuff, you're quite human. You may not have the skill to create a masterpiece at that moment, but you know you're tapping into something greater than yourself. So this thing, which I'll call a kind of a spiritual experience, you know, is where eventually this leads to. Because art world had an existential crisis. Writers are going to have a writing crisis, but humanity is going to have an existential crisis about what the hell is being human anymore. And only answer I have is, is not an answer that people are going to like because it doesn't fit anything that fits into a mechanical material definition for example a human is just biology well there'll be a mimic for that 
So it's got to be, and this is the spiritual component, it's got to be this conscious thing outside that, that puts into action all the mechanical things. So an artist is consciously doing something. That something might be mimicked by something else. But when they mimicked it, it wasn't art. It wasn't human. So, and okay. writers thought that we were uh, immune from this. So I don't know a way out of that. It's not a very satisfying yeah, thing because really. then it gets you into the thing of like, well, what the hell is not, what is, so you're saying, so what's above human? Zach, how do we talk about that? Yes. Well, that's, that's spirituality and philosophy, right? Yeah. So, but, but it's inescapable. Yeah. So let me uh, bring you down from the spiritual realm to the material realm and ask ah, something. Copyright. Something. I know you want to talk about copyright. <laughs> copyright, yes. But before that, in what yeah. way do you think, like this is a thing that does a thing. Like photography yeah. came along and it created a lot of problems right. for people who used to draw and paint. Yeah. But it also yeah. helped them to a great degree because now every yeah. artist can look up a reference photos of places. They don't actually have to travel the world in order to make things, right? Sure. And yeah. in what ways do you think something like Chat GPT or you even DALI and Midjourney, which are AI art generators, in what yeah. way do you think these can be helpful to people who are feeling threatened right now? Well, you know, it's funny because like you, I think I perhaps every writer out there is starting to go, uh-oh. Um, yeah. But, you know, the thing is, I'm not old, but I have gone through kind of one tech life cycle. Mm-hmm. And I've seen and studied some of the past. And there are a couple of things that are quite interesting. So I remember when um, early days of the internet, like really the internet was becoming more common and ubiquitous. Every stock market analyst, everybody was going, well, this is the end of paper. This is the end of paper. Who's going to need paper? Yeah. Everything's on a computer. And what mm-hmm. happened for the next 15 years was actually a boom in people buying home printers. The home printer industry never had such explosion in its entire history as it did once everybody had a personal computer. And then one day everyone went, actually, I don't need to print anymore. And then it stopped. So you had this thing where you think, okay, computers are going to, I'll just stay with the printer example. So it's, it's a nice and clear and very surprising one, right? Computers are coming. Everything's on the screen. You don't need to print it. It's there. If you print it, it gets frozen, but on the screen, you can keep changing it. So no one's going to want paper anymore. You have to carry books. Everyone's going to want an e-book. Hmm. The, book public, the physical book publishing industry was never stronger, has never had more sales than the introduction of e-books. Hmm. It's very counterintuitive. And similarly, yeah. with the printing industry, the, they came in and the printer industry went, bam, for about 15 years. I'll say until a younger generation came along. I think that's the way to define this 15 years was basically kids who were 10 became 25 mm. and said, I'm in the office, but I don't really want to print. I don't need to print. Those people basically, who people like to look at things. Had, people who had no nostalgia attached to right. holding pieces right. of paper. Some of that, right? Yeah. So if you were older and you like to see things printed out, like you might pr- work on it here, but you want to read it as a printed thing. The local mm. printer, your home printer was a big thing. And it's a huge amount of sales, right? Like that. And then one day it just, plummeted so i'll call that a generational thing and what people had predicted came but it didn't come in the first wave so the first wave here people are thinking okay writers are out of a job well i'm going to do counterintuitive i'm going to try and use that model that we just the the historical pattern and it's just one go there are a couple examples like that um uh 
there might be a need for a whole bunch of writers, but in a different way. They might be called in to do QC work for all the ChatGPT things. Directory so instead work, of yeah. writing stuff, 80% of the first draft is written, but we need a writer to come in because you really do need a writer to fix and tweak the sentences and get things right. right? That's not mm-hmm. something that a non-writer does. A non-writer goes, uh, just make it better. Well, the person who makes it better really is a script doctor, is a writer, or something like that. So you have a need for writers to come in and say, okay, ChatGPT did 80% of the work, which is great, but it's not reliable. It's not publishable, publishable, uh, unless you're like BuzzFeed or something like that, right? You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, like a low quality. But some, some standard, any li- I, 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 I'm not sure what that standard is, but there might be, I'm just, I'm literally speculating, but there might be a need for, well, this was great. We don't need a writer to write the whole thing, but we do need an influx of writers to go through it what is now a huge new volume of material, right? We were previously constrained by writing, you know, an article a day or maybe 10 articles a day, whichever company you're talking about, marketing company, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now we can do, you know, a thousand articles a day, but we do need somebody to come in and just kind of clean them up a little bit. Maybe that's mm-hmm. it. I, I don't know. But I think it, so if your first instinct, which was mine, was, oh God, writers have really got a problem now. It may not be. But it will eventually be, yes, for sure. The other thing I think is going to happen, unfortunately, is, and I could just look at this from Bollywood, is a producer is going to come and go, you know what? Um, instead of hiring a writer, let me do ChatGPT my story idea and have them have ChatGPT write the script and write it in a format, script format, and all that stuff. And when they get it, they'll go, well, it's, you know, it's 80% there. And now I'll hire a script writer to come in and just kind of tweak some of the dialogues and do it like that. And I think there's an awful lot of the initial work that is going away. That, I think, is, is, is really um, hard, hard to see around, hard, hard, to, hard, to, hard to see around. But there is also, a kind of, I think, uh, um, there's one other thought I had on this, which is, um, there are two actually thoughts. One, one, I'm trying to remember, uh, gosh, I can't remember his name. He's an NYU professor. He's a wonderful guy. And he has a quote that says that every media is known by its imperfection. So that is to say, if you take a vinyl record and you screech it, right, with a record, with a record player and you screech it, that mm. sound it makes when it skips a beat and it goes in a loop or when it screeches the needles on the thing and screeches, that is a quintessential sound of an era, specifically the 19... 19- 50, 60, yeah, 70s, yeah, or like yeah, that. Yeah. If I, think take, I, know, uh, I think I uh, I have heard this thing that you're speaking of. Uh, that, the quote, <laughs> I it's, a, it's a great quote. The if glitch you take, sound uh, is no longer part glitch. of anyone's... No, yeah, 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 yeah. So the glitch in a video, well, back hmm. before before these things were on video, video on hard disk, but were on tape, the, the wrinkle in a tape, when videos yeah. were recorded on tape, or yeah. the imperfections in the resolution of VHS or broadcast, or, um, you know... Uh, if you remember landlines and modems, and the sound of my, yeah, so yeah, every yeah. technology has a glitch, which actually becomes its signature sound. And that glitch is an imperfection. So I view ChatGPT in a funny way. I view it like a new media. It's, uh, I think it might be healthy and productive for us to look at ChatGPT, demystify it, and just look at it as, oh, we finally entered the area, era, era of interactive media. Hmm. truly interactive. I do this and it comes back. I do this. Hey, what do you think this? And it shows me a picture. No, what about that? Ah, it comes back, right? It, it almost like a toy. It's an interactive toy. I like it. Nick, 
show me a picture of a deserted island on Mars. Oh, good, but make it green. Okay, but make it full of elephants. Okay, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a game, right? Basically, it's an interactive. The yeah. Star Trek uh, holodeck. Right. So, but it will inevitably have some imperfections. I don't mean the imperfections of style. For example, hmm. if Hemingway writes in a certain way, not that it's an imperfection, but that's a style. They will be able to mimic that style. So style is that. But there will be something in ChatGPT that gives it away to those who have eyes to see. Um, because at the end of the day, it may be very difficult, and it may require at some point a forgery-level kind of person to be able to tell the difference between a Rembrandt and a fake Rembrandt. It may be. But there will always be something. Uh, and, and it's it just, a, but even now, you know, even with photographs, it's hard to tell, was that an authentic photograph from 1920 or did somebody just use Photoshop? So it gets mm -hmm. difficult. I'm not saying it doesn't, but there will be in, in sort of something like that, that gives it away. So if we view, and the reason I'm saying this is if we now to view this as the beginning of interactive media, right? Either through images or mm -hmm. chat, uh, it may, you know, give it five years. It may be sounds. It says, Hey, what would an elephant underwater on Mars sound like? And it'll, you know, pull it together and do that kind of thing. So whatever that is, right, that interactive media thing, if it's that, then I think we got to go back to our old guru, Marshall McLuhan. Marshall McLuhan is a 1960s guy who's most famous probably for this, the proverb, the medium is the message. Yeah. Um, and he was a very fascinating people. And, you know, people should go back to him like every 10 years. Even I should like go and reread his stuff. He's visionary about media. Um, mm. And he, he was talking about how media gets used and its purpose and it's less about the content than we think it's far less about the content than we think it's much more about the medium of the communication um so for example he gives a very famous example where uh films are a hot media um they are intense but if you have an intense actor on a sitcom it won't work well, you think, well, they're both video recording. No, they're not. TV is a cold medium. It's a cool medium. So you're mm. saying, no, these are video and that's all Mexican. No, it's not. They really are separated. And there's a commercial aspect to this, that every television show should have something that scares you or keeps you hanging so that its main purpose gets delivered, which is to bring the commercial. Right? So yeah. you've got the TV is not about the episode of Friends. TV is about selling you commercials. And mm. once you get into that, then you'll understand, for example, it's impossible to watch broadcast news without being anxious. And they literally have designed this, even subconsciously, so that when you get to the commercial break, you go, ah, that product feels relieving. It feels like a solution to the problems of the world. I'll take that Coke and Pepsi. Thank you very much. By design. Mm. It doesn't matter what the news of the day was. I mean, yes, it does. But it doesn't. And the way I kind of uh, make this a kind of an analogy, because this is very hard to accept that people go, wait a second, we just put together a 50-minute news broadcast. We put a heart and sweat into it, and you're saying it doesn't matter. Uh, of course, that matters. But I'm saying you're serving a larger God there. The God that you're serving is the commercial God of just teeing people up for the commercial. And the equivalent I have for this is that something, I've seen different percentages, but something like 85 to 90% of our conversation is nonverbal. Yeah. That the very first thing you're going to respond to is, oh, it's a white bald guy with some light. You, uh, yeah, I'm saying some words, and yeah, you're kind of processing them, but you're mostly processing there's a white guy. He didn't wear a tie. He wore this open. Okay, boom. 
Next, it'd be his body language. He's kind of sitting pretty casually. That's a little casual. Is it a little too casual? All that's processing. Much more than we think. The tone of my voice has an enormous consequence. And you would think what I'm saying matters. It's very little because we still operate on these kind of things. So what I'm saying is, yes, what I say matters. The content does matter. But the form of everything around it yeah. is what we do. What's how we process most of it. And it completely form, changes. Uh, I was actually getting to the point of the, like the form communicates a lot more than we think it does. Yes. So the format of the book communicates something. The format of a short story on a web page communicates something. And we are not always aware of it. That's what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. Right. And it has a purpose and it fits into a larger mold, which different yeah, yeah. categories of art do. Right. But just uh -huh. to say this, if, if, if literally everything I said in our chat, I was mm. sitting in a broadcast studio with a suit and tie and maybe a pair of glasses and all that. People would actually hear it, not just give it more weight, but they would mm. hear words differently. You understand okay. what I'm saying? Like that? So mm. now we have this problem. We go back to chat GBT. We are looking at it um, in a way that has been structured to be the definitive answer, and it's not there yet. So I'm, what I'm concerned about, or not concerned, but I'm, what I'm really interested in is what is the imperfection in this new media? What's that imperfection that we're going to find, like the glitch in everything else? And two, what is this really about? Well, right now, it's really about advertising dollars. Hmm. You can say... Google and all these things are great for this and all that, and Wikipedia and all this, all that's great, the internet is all that. It's all about advertising dollars, meaning getting your attention. And what will ChatGPT do in that? Well, it would be a better way to do that. I'm not sure how to monetize it, right? Yeah. So the search had, had the, we think the search results matter, but the fact that you're searching online as opposed to going and discovering it in real knowledge tells you a lot. There's some things that are easier to get online. Sure, I'm not debating these kind of things. I'm saying as a way of gaining knowledge, it's embedded and wedded to advertised model, which is not in your interest, not always in your interest, and it's very hard to know when these things are. So the chat GBT in the future is going to be damn hard to understand how we're being manipulated. Because if you take yeah, something like true. TikTok, you take TikTok, which is already basically, actually Indians are not quite familiar, as familiar as what's going on in America right now, um, because you, you guys very... Uh, for, for different reasons, you banned it, but you guys got lucky. You got lucky yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got a, a very addictive thing. Actually, maybe that's, per, that's the point of it. That might be the point. The point of TikTok is not um, selling you ads. If it is true that TikTok really is a propaganda tool, it is a way of capturing your behavioral ag algorithm, exactly yeah. what you like, how to manipulate you, how to put one thing in front of you and keep you glued. It is an attention addiction mechanism. For Facebook, they are also, but they do that for ads. But you could do attention addiction behavior mechanism for propaganda. Because once I understand what makes you work, what makes you tick, oh, it's a video in which there are puppies. Eh, okay, he's not a puppy person, right? But I get mm. very detailed. Mm. After a couple of days, you get, so now I have a, I have a very precise intelligence profile about you. You combine that with an automation mechanism, they can say, okay, I will style my answers. First, I'm doing the ChatGPT, which gives you correct answers, but now I'll do it in the style that works for Vimo. Hmm. And he will find more persuasive than he otherwise would. If it reads like Wikipedia, 
Vimo has a natural skepticism, but if it reads like that's something that he's quite susceptible to, without even knowing he's susceptible to it, maybe it's written in your own style, something like that. It flatters you. Wow, this is so mm. well written. And you don't even realize they wrote it in your own style, whatever. I don't know what it is. But that is very, 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 so you're getting to a space where it's damn tricky to be, and I'm going to use this word very precisely here, to be a conscious human being and not get sucked into becoming a mechanical, automated human being. Yeah. And this is, the, this is the challenge. The last point I want to make on the technology patterns was one, when technology comes, you think it's going to let everybody's going to lose jobs, it creates new jobs, it destroys industries, but it takes a cycle, right? It does kind of the counterintuitive to Two was medium is the message. What is the actual function and purpose of this new media format? But the third thing is the real danger of technology, the real risk, the real threat, the real, the real worry is we keep thinking it will help us. And in fact, it often does the reverse. We said mobile phones will make us free. Now we can go anywhere around the world. We can walk and talk with the mobile phones. I've never been more free because if you grew up with a landline where six feet from the wall, you couldn't go any further. Wow, yeah. now I can go 60 years away. You feel free. But what's really happened? We've yeah. never been more tied down in our lives. We're, we're, we're tied to this thing. Carrying a prison with us. Right, right. So I used to work in the office where I used to go to the office and then I walked home. And I remember, I'm glad I had this experience. I had the joy, the little tiny joy, the little delight of leaving the office, like walking and creating distance between me and the office. Oh, I see it's 20 feet away now. Now I'm two blocks away. I'm walking away. That physical separation from the office as I went home for the night. And then my job got more remote. And I thought at first, I thought, oh, great, I'm working from home. And then one day I realized, oh, I have no life anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so the mobile phone, and, we all know. And, and right? young people are ruining their lives, comparing themselves to the appearance of people who they don't even know. Right. But all of these things, the core thing here is we tend to think of technology in terms of the outside thing, which is, oh, we need a information. It brings up the information. That's it. We want to see a video. It shows a video. That's it. So the technology is just doing objects in front of us and we're doing it more efficiently. It's a supply chain of information. It's a whatever like that. And in this, you're forgetting there's me looking down at the thing. And the me component hmm. is the part that nobody, 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 no, yeah. nobody commercially cares about. They're absolutely exploiting that, meaning that all the people are quite, they're designing it to trap you into it, right? Uh, and even if, it, you know, it's like, it's like a pharmaceutical company, if they can have, would it, would it be better for them to, to cure cancer once? <laughs> or would it be better to get you on a pharmaceutical at age 10 and have a lifetime subscription? that you're now on 60-year income stream on just one drug. Oh, my God. The answer is, like that. who cares about health and society, right? Mm, so that yeah. commercial interest becomes so overpowered. My point is, the danger is the interactivity, what it does to the actor. Mm. So if you think, uh, you know, there, uh, who is it? William Burroughs, who was a, not so known, but he was a famous American writer in about the 1950s. He and they, te they, they tested this out with him. He said, I can tell you, I know when somebody has written a poem by longhand and when they've written by typewriter. Hmm. Because you would think, oh, no, it's just a pencil. Pencil is also a technology. Uh, and there's a typewriter. So technologies, right? No, they're different. Your relationship to the word. And actually, you even see 
a lot of writers, even if they're high-tech writers and doing all that kind of stuff, they still write by a longhand because you have a, a relationship to the written word flowing out of you in a different way. I'm not saying that that makes you a better writer. I'm just saying it's not just about, oh, typing on a word processor makes you a better writer than typing on a typewriter. And doing this chat GPT will make you any better writer because it's still the same you. And in mm -hmm. fact, what happens is we tend to depend more on the technology and we become dumber in the process. Yeah. So my main concern with ChatGPT is not ChatGPT's growth. It's our diminution <laughs> over yeah, time, yeah. right? It's like uh, that like, uh, story, that Akbar Birbal story where Akbar draws a line in the sand and asks Birbal to shorten it and Birbal does it by drawing a longer line next to it without erasing the line. So I That's think nice that, 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 that might be what is happening. To I, will, I have two more questions, but I will huh. make them into each other. And ask you one final question, which kind of will cover a lot of ground. Uh, I'm a comic book writer, right? I write scripts. I send it to the artist who draws. Uh, it yeah, you, you, you used to be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still am, actually. But the hey, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of this joke. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, no, you have a valid point. I haven't written a comic in a long time, but I'm saying that the process of creating a comic is collaborative. If I have a story, I can write a script, but I can't draw it and I can't color it. Now, for the first time in history, if these tools become as useful as I think they're going to be, I can write a script, write a story, I can generate art, I can put a comic book together, I can get it printed and I can have it out. In right. much the same way, my publisher who can't write can now get chat GPT to perhaps write something and yeah. draw the art for it and make a comic. So in a way, right. his core competency is drawing, my core competency is writing. If I don't compromise with my core competency, I can still become a full-fledged studio and so can he, right? So do you think this is going to become useful to the individual artist who has to necessarily rely on other people in order to create the final product. For example, if chat GPT or if AI tools become so good that it's possible to have animated characters speaking using AI, etc. in the, in, you know, in a video yeah. format, yeah. you as an actor and a director and a writer, you can do three things, but the two things that you cannot do, you will be able to do. And then you yourself will become a studio. Do you think this remaining a possible? Do you think it's a possibility? And if yes, then do you think this is going to be a relevant uh, pattern of behavior that goes into the future and puts a lot of bigger businesses out of the picture? Um, so yes, it absolutely is going to happen. Um, uh, you know, William uh, Walter Murch, arguably the best living editor. I was editor for. Uh, uh, Apocalypse Now, um, Jesse, that's worked on Godfather, he worked on uh, Conversation. Uh, he wrote a, a famous book, uh, In the Blink of the Eye. Um, wonderful man, and arguably, you know, most legendary, one of the top five editors of all, film editors of all history. He, he ca categorized um, directors really as two kind of, two kind of ca directors. I mean, there, there's a spectrum, but there's kind of two camps. There's one who is the, you know, the kind of classic visionary. And that would be somebody like um, uh, that would be somebody like uh, Alfred Hitchcock, where he wrote the storyboards, and then he showed up on set and he just handed the storyboards to his assistant director and said, "Go make the movie." He couldn't be bothered with you guys. Look, it's all there in the storyboard. If you have a question, you can ask me. 
but I've already made the movie in my head. I don't want the actors doing anything except for what I've just put in the storyboards, right? Now, he was so good that his movies turned out well. But you can see that that's kind of like a very non-collaborative way to work. He called actors cows. You just got to move them around and shuffle them around. Sorry, they should be treated like cows <laughs> or cattle, <laughs> technically, like that. But, but anyway, the, the, uh, the point is that style, which is kind of the auteur, which is I have a singular vision. It's as if yeah. you have a dream. You slept at night and the technology is going to be there. Technology will be there where you can record your dreams because these are basically neurotransmissions. You'll be able to record them and play back your dreams. In, you know, during the day. And instead of watching YouTube videos, it'll be saying, hey, what did I dream last night? Because we mostly forget them and you'll be able to play them back. So when you can recreate that and then you can actually, as we already can, you can do an animatic. Animatic is kind of a low res animation that is pretty common now. So before you go and film with 50 people, let's just do a little low res animation of what the shots will look like and how it edits together. So you made a little movie Mm -hmm. before you make the big movie. That's already there. That wasn't there okay. 20 years ago, right? And that wasn't there really. Kind. So you already got, and that will become more. And then you'll do, you know, well, you know, this would be good. I think the shot works, but only if we have the right soundtrack under it. Can we try six different soundtracks? You can literally make the movie before you make the movie. And then, of course, yeah. one day you'll be able to make the movie. So you'll get to the point where Hitchcock, if he was alive in 2050, he'd mm. be a one-man studio. It, yeah. It'd be like, he, he would just outsource anything that really needed that. But otherwise, he could just use all the tools and get it the way he wanted. And probably... Mm his films would be closer to his pure vision than even his existing films because those got watered down by humans <laughs> along the way. Uh, that yeah. performance wasn't what I wanted, but we've got to move on, right? So I'm like, so that's one camp that Walter Murch talks about. The other camp of directors, and this might be also uh, styles of management, if you want to think of it, if anybody's listening and they're watching from MBA's perspective or something like that. I went to film school. I have a master's in fine arts. But I worked in corporate space. I was a global product leader. And I joked. I joked. I went to the best films. Uh, the, I did go to the best film school in the world. But it turned out to be the best business school. Because if you go for an MBA, while it's true, you learn case studies and this and that and the other. In film school, mm-hmm. you've got an idea. And you've got to pull together a team. And you've got to go and create that. Which is a little bit like what starting a business is like. So film mm-hmm. school turned out to be a great business school. If you belong to the camp of collaboration. So the collaborative model is... Francis Ford Coppola. He's got an idea, but when he goes into Apocalypse Now, he takes everybody's thing along the way, and it becomes a, a whole kind of a different kind of orchestration. And Walter Murch made an interesting point on this. He said that films in the future, there might be a, a day one day when it's not about the actual film, but it's kind of a an, a color ink blotch representing the experience of the people who worked on it. Meaning, for example, let's say you had a very hot and heated day on the set and you were to represent that, let's say, with infrared. You can imagine a certain kind of color scheme. And another day, which went very smoothly, that's a different kind of color scheme, splotch. Well, you could actually represent the process visually in this whole other thing. And he's actually saying, you know, it's a weird thing. That may be entertainment in the, in the, in the future. It's not about the output, but the process becomes the entertainment, so to speak. But yeah. where this leads to is definitely, if you're talking with your chat JBT thing, this side of the equation, the visionary, absolutely. I can take, uh, I was uh, doing some audiobooks the other um, day, and there's now an AI tool which can help me do the, the cleaning up on the mixing. And, yeah. you know, I, if you've ever done this, it's like it's, it can be a very tedious process and can take, you know, 10 hours, depending on the long books, stuff like that, and you go upload it, it just, oh, my God. Yeah. So there's going to be all those efficiencies. That's all true. But um, 
I would also say, you go back to the classic example of Gutenberg's Bible, which opened up the printing press, um, internet in terms of word processing and all this. Okay, great. We now have, I don't know, 50 million bad poets in the world. Okay, maybe there were only 50,000 bad poets before. Is that improvement? I'm sure people feel good about their poetry. Um, it's nice that they have an ISBN on Amazon. They feel good about themselves. It's yeah. not an advancement for human civilization that people get to mm. masturbate in different ways. Yeah? That, it's just a, so, it's literally used to be called vanity publishing. I'm publishing a yeah. book so that I can see that I, had, I paid for the publishing. All that, well, now yeah. I can do that very quickly, right? With yeah, ChatGPT, yeah, yeah. hey, I'll be able to make a movie of my life. I'll do the biography of Zach. I'll make it myself. It cost me $46. Great. Was it art? So now that now so this problem has always been there. Now there is going to be much more of it, is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. But but again, you know, there is something most quintessentially human which escapes definition. And I know it's not very satisfying, but you, you interview five people for a job and they all give correct answers. But one person is beaming. One person is, is a different vibration, whatever. There's something that singles them out. You see 10 poems, and one is just something. It just stands out, right? And over time, by the body of work, you can see that's not by accident. It was actually on purpose. So there's got to be something that as an ocean of new content and information still distinguishes what we think of, what we interpret, what also, which may also change over time, but what we think of as good art. So... I don't take it as a much progress that there's going to be a lot more volume. I, I don't take it as much progress at all. Makes people feel think, good about their lives. That's think, fine. Do you think because there is going to be a lot more volume because it becomes easier for the individual to become a studio? Sure. What will really stand out in the future is still the big studio. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting question because we've already faced this question. ChatGPT will just accelerate, but we've already faced this with uh, YouTube videos and TikTok videos, right? So mm. basically, it used to just be studios who produce things. And then you had YouTube stars who have more viewers than the nightly news. And you go, well, that's great. And of course, I'm very happy. I get a lot of my news by independent journalists and they're able to substack. People can create their own publishing things. And I can follow the people that I think are trustworthy and that, that's all great. Mm. But largely speaking, as a kind of a mass movement, Okay, so now we've got a billion bad YouTubers. Is that progress? No, I still need to go back to the New York Times to know exactly was it a 7.6 earthquake or a 7.2 earthquake because yeah. those billion guys, they, the billion YouTubers, they don't know. So in terms of real essential things, it's never going to be answered by a technology introducing new volumes. And it's more likely to cause problems because that will be a seductive, seemingly very convincing and tempting way to answer the questions of life but it's just more noise. So, you know, I'm kind of an elitist in that, spend, that sense because just because there's more, it's great in the sense that it opens up some structures. You get more women in there, you get undercast. Yeah. You get, all of that is true. That's not, I'm not disagreeing with any of that. But as a whole movement, um, in itself, more is not better. There's, as Gandhiji said, there's more to life than speed. Yeah, and as Arthur Conan Doyle said, it doesn't matter how fast you're going if you don't know where you're going. 
that's also true. We, we, you know, you and I have got quotes off each other. It's, 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 it's a quote. Like, bam, bam, bam. Yeah, it's like that. So I think uh, anyway. But you know, I, I I feel your pain. I mean, I also look at this and I went, oh shit. Um, oh my god. No, I'm actually not in as much pain as I see. Uh, uh, my, my my thing is, I can see the potential in it. I can see all the things it enables me to do. But I'm yeah. wondering if because I'm an early adapter and I jump on things and I'll get something done in a couple of years, I'll have something that is perhaps a little ahead of every other colleague of mine. But I'm thinking about all the people who have spent their lives learning a single skill, yeah, and who are going to be the people who are in the content writing jobs and the basic illustrators job, who are going to whose whose entire category of job is going to disappear as a result of it. So I'm trying to find a middle ground between my elation and my oh my god, what is this doing? You know, I'll tell you something because we've had faces already um, hmm. in you know blue collar, right? So if you spent your whole life being a trucker and you knew how to you know the the what's the right speed at that turn in the pike there, and you got you know you had essentially experiential knowledge. And I was getting replaced by self-driving cars. You go, what the fuck was my life about? So, and I'll come back to this. It's not an easy answer because it's, it's hard in a new way. It's spiritually hard, spiritually hard to accept that life is not about finding ways of doing things. It's not how you do it. It's why you do it, right? The why yes. is never going to be addressed authentically by chat GBT. all technology will only ever enable more efficient answers and more efficient solutions more efficient things blah, 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 on the how question so what's happening with increasingly uh shorter timelines of technology right you know like the phone was 75 years of adoption somebody who was on the telegram was going whatever my whole life was on the telegram and now i have yeah. no life because there's okay so we get that right the horse yeah. right but now it's happening like jesus Every, I'm it, in my it, 20s and I got to change my life. I'm in my 30s, I got to change my life. You have suppose, got to adapt that. To every other technological advancement that happened, people mm. had more time to adjust. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, and, you know, people just don't realize. I mean, when I think about this a lot, but 150 years ago, most people, most, 99, 95%, maybe there were some people like gypsies, there were commercial traders who traveled and things like that. There were armies. But most people lived in a village, stayed within 100 kilometers of that village, knew the same 200 people in their life, right? So when we think of all these hierarchical things from the past and the structures and traditions, it's because that's what life was. Life didn't really modify this. Now life is like, again, you're in your 20s and it's a different decade than it was in your teens. Like things have completely changed. You're 20s, now you're 30s and it's like, you just spent a decade getting a degree in something which is not useful anymore, right? So the yeah. problem with this is, of course, it, it goes to, there's two answers, there's two issues with this. One is it forces you to do the, you know, Darwinian evolution, which is the success of the species, not to the fastest, the strongest, the most intelligent, which is where we're predisposed to go. I want to be the best, but it's the one that can adapt the best. So the call of human success is adaptation. You've just got to be open to change. And if you don't, you're an old man. Because this is the kind of, like I have my, you know, say relatives or something like that. The ones who just can't adapt or adjust to things that are a little different. The newspaper doesn't come in the morning the way it used to, things like that. It's because yeah. they're, I don't want to say they're dead. I'm just saying they're not as alive 
as the one who's adapting and moving and flowing like that, right? Life is adaptation and movement. Mm-hmm. So every one of these things is a call for us to let go of our attachments of the way we used to do it and who we used to think we were and mm-hmm. adapt to the new reality, which is difficult and damn near economic uh, tra- tragedy, some, uh, tragic sometimes. So that's the one thing. But the second thing is also to realize and go deeper, right? So the one that's kind of the lateral move, you've got to adapt to the new reality. But the other one is you've got to go deeper and say, it's going to keep changing. So that's not what life is about. It's something deeper than the waves. Because the technology is going to be it's mind-blowing in 10 years and mind-blowing times two, times 20, 20 years from now, right? Once you get into AI with, you know, genetic modifications, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, wow. So what is life? Well, you go back to the deeper question, which is why is life? So I think there's going to be a big reckoning. Uh, I don't know when or how, but it's got to happen because there's going to be billions of people who go, what am I doing with my life? And they'll go deeper into why. Maybe that makes people more human. That would be great if it does. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Zach, for this uh, really enlightening and interesting conversation. We are at the one hour, seven minute mark. And oh. uh, no, no. And now for a commercial break by our sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> no, all this was this nice is... enough all this was fine but please watch the ad the post video <laughs> ad at the end that's the whole purpose of all of this is watch the ad at the end so he makes four rupees yes <laughs> the medium is the message four, four rupees is four rupees you might be overestimating my ability my channel's ability to make money but i think i'll make more than four four rupees in general but thank you yeah. zach for this and uh uh, I hope we can talk again soon about this because this topic is not going to go away. It's, it's not, not going, going away. away. It's, it's not, not going, going away. away. And and because you mentioned Darwinian evolution, I just point out something. When a lion chases a herd of buffalo, it is not the fastest buffalo that survives. Right. Everyone except the slowest buffalo survives. That's true. Yeah. At least yeah. that day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they feel Your happy day for will a week come. and then the lion comes back. Hey, comic book writer, your day will come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's already it's come. a pleasure. I, I wish I saw you in Mumbai sometimes, but I'm happy to see you on the on podcast. Yeah, yeah, same here. So that was the episode. As you could tell, if you watched the whole episode, Zach is an incredibly interesting person with a wide variety of in-depth understandings into many topics. If you have not seen his work, please go over to his channel and check out his filmography. There is a link to his channel in the title of this video and also in the description. I will see you next time and uh, I hope you do well until then. The next time I see you will be on Saturday at 8 p.m. Until then, please be safe. Take care of yourself and uh, good night.